Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Barshett. It's always good news when we get together to spend time, you know, as a family, the family of God. Uh, we've got some Good News Friday giveaways to give away today. Um, and I'm super excited to have the uh, just kind of a fun story, um, a story about stories and uh, why it's important for us to understand, you know, the, the, one of my favorite phrases in all of, all of Scripture is when Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then you go, okay, uh, what does that mean? And then you find out, <laughs> okay, uh, well, what is the kingdom of heaven really like? And then he likens it to a story or this, that, and the other thing. And, and we in the body of Christ can learn a lot about our faith in him through these stories. And he tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like, and then we get to see where we line up in all of that story. Uh, today, we're going to get into a conversation um, about that whole issue with a guy by the name of Dr. Samuel, Samuel Blumenthal, who has a collection of short stories called Once Upon a Time. We're going to be giving that away today. And it's fun on Good News Friday to have giveaways. I love giveaways on Good News Friday. Uh, not one, not two, but three copies of Dr. Blumenthal's book we'll be giving away today. So if you want to line up and get calling in right now, now's the time to do it. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, you can get in line to be one of the three lucky winners we're going to have today here on uh, Good News Friday to talk about the very issue of uh, uh, the impact that storytelling can have on our faith and also sharing the good news. I'm going to start a Good News Friday today with a good news story that isn't always the kind of good news story that we get, but... It's one that's very encouraging to us because it involves our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. And what I'm talking about is the fact that we now have a Speaker of the House. And this could last, I mean, I realize this, this could last a couple of days, could last a couple of weeks. I'm hoping it, ask, it lasts a little bit longer. Wednesday morning when we recorded the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, we were speculating because we had heard that Congressman Mike Johnson from Louisiana was going to be uh, potentially voted upon as the next Speaker of the House. And it's interesting because right after we finished recording the podcast and posted it, uh, then they had the vote and he actually won. It wasn't one of those contentious, we're in the chair, this, that, and the other thing type of deals. And and to be fair, we had a lot of people who weighed in already on that uh, NCR podcast. Some people say, basically the short version of what we talked about in NCR was that uh, Bob Duco was pretty much a, uh, hey, you know, if, if, I'm not a big Trump person, but if we have to go MAGA again, this is the guy, you know, these are the people we want to have. And John Rush and Neil Bourne and I were like, hey, wait a minute. I mean, um, they created chaos and havoc in the House of Representatives basically the entire month of October while potentially World War III is brewing in Israel, the third most important position in American Congress, the House of, Speaker of the House of Representatives, um, who is third in command. There's a line of succession as to if something happens, you know, God forbid there would be some kind of attack like there was scheduled for on 9-11 and they were going to attack the White House. They did attack the Pentagon, you know, that type of thing. Um, who's there and what, you know, what happens if the president winds up dying? Of course, the vice president takes over. If the president and vice president are together and they're no longer able to serve, then the Speaker of the House takes over. There's a laundry list. As a matter of fact, I was reading recently that President Biden got into hot water because there's a woman that he appointed for like some Ways and Means Committee or something like that. It was something that you wouldn't think of. And he, as being in line for presidential succession, 
And then what he did was he put her in line for presidential succession. She was like ninth in line. And they said, you can't do that. But Mike Johnson is now the Speaker of the House. And that's good news. I'll tell you why it is good news. Uh, Very simply. First of all, he got enough of a majority of Republicans, the Freedom Caucus people and the so-called rhinos and, uh, you know, everybody, the Republican in name only, the establishment people, the young people, they all went in for this guy. But when he gave his speech as to, you know, when he was going to be, you know, finally gaveled in, as they say, this is a guy who's serving his fourth term in Congress. He's 51 years of age. He and his wife, Kelly, have four children. Um, he served as chairman of the Republican Study Committee, which describes itself as, quote, the intellectual arsenal of conservatism in the House of Representatives. Um, he was elected in January 2021 to a second term as vice chairman of the House Republican Conference, was the deputy whip under Kevin McCarthy, so he's kind of his right-hand man, uh, one legal analyst said, the great thing about Mike is he's a fantastic constitutional attorney. He's a passionate advocate for religious liberty, and it's very true. Um, this is a guy who went to LSU, uh, got a degree in business administration in 1995, then went to law school and uh, at LSU's Paul M. Herbert Law Center, 1998. That's where he earned his law degree. He was elected president of the Christian Legal Society at LSU, and subsequently became a successful constitutional law litigator. Uh, He then went on to serve for Alliance Defending Freedom as senior counsel there for a number of years, and then ran for state office and eventually was elected to the United States Congress in 2015. So he is now in his fourth term. And, you know, it's interesting because, again, praise God, this this is what we're hearing from Mike Johnson. Of course, what you're hearing from the left is, oh, he's a MAGA Republican. He's an election denier. He, he didn't want to certify the election, blah, blah, blippity, blah. And all of those things are true. Well, not the election denier part. Uh, the left has to be really careful with that rhetoric because if you want to talk election deniers, Hillary Clinton's an election denier from 2016. Stacey Abrams, an election denier in Georgia from 2017. I mean, the list goes on. You can't have Democrats in good conscience saying, this, this election isn't fixed. He's not my president about Donald Trump. And then come in and see even more evidence of hanky-panky with regard to this thing happening in, um, uh, with the Biden election in 2020 and say, well, that was very fair and square. But hear the words of Mike Johnson as he explains why that he believes that it's the God of the Bible who raises each of them up for their elected purposes and their leadership purposes and not political maneuvering and posturing. This is a very, very powerful quote. We'll, we'll post it up at thebottomlineshow.com, but let me read it to you. I want to tell my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in the room last night. I don't believe that there are any coincidences in a matter like this. And a friend of mine, I think it's Tony Cashman, our sales manager, likes to say there are God instances, not coincidences. Uh, Mike Johnson continues, I believe that scripture, the Bible, is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us, and I believe that God has allowed and ordained each and every one of us to be here at this specific moment. This is my belief. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great nation, and they deserve it. Now, 
Uh, I don't know about you. I, I didn't mention, I probably should, that in addition to serving as the president of the Christian Legal Society when he was at LSU in law school there, uh, he also served on the executive uh, board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, it, it's not surprising that, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, he's talking the creator of, of the universe, raising up and disposing, uh, deposing rather political leaders. But look at Daniel 2, 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Wouldn't it be great if God would sometimes give wisdom to the foolish? <laughs> but nonetheless. And something else about Mike Johnson that I, 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 I love it. The fact the Family Research Council uh, President Tony Perkins said the great thing about Mike is he's not bashful. I've known him for 25 years, which is half of his life. And he... Uh, basically has been able to bring some kind of stability and a calmness to uh, what's happening here. Um, it was nice to see so many members of the House of Representatives, looks like members from both party, flanking him on the steps of the uh, Capitol building after his election as Speaker of the House. But the thing that's uh, really incredible is that uh, he said, I am going to be a Speaker who is going to be leading more through prayer than through politics. Uh, by the way, for those who are looking for this rags to riches story here, um, I think it's important to note that even though Mike Johnson appears to be of the Anglo persuasion, um, he's the first member of his family to graduate from college. And I think that shows that the American dream is still alive and available to anybody who will work for it, who will put themselves in the right place to do it and should have the opportunity. I know there are lots of Americans who don't feel like they have that. But would that we as Christians use this as an example of saying, hey, let's find out how Mike Johnson got the, where he is. And, and then we can use that as a catalyst for asking them the question, well, why can't others follow that lead? We'll put this article from the Epic Times up at thebottomlineshow.com. Now, I know what you're thinking. Once upon a time, there was a kid from Louisiana. <laughs> That's how a great story would start out, especially in the case of Mike Johnson. On the other side of this break, though, Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is going to join me, and we're going to talk about why stories that have always been a part of us are a mirror with which we can see ourselves. And he reflects on this in a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home in faith. The book is called Once Upon a Time. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal coming your way next as The Bottom Line continues. Once Upon a Time, probably the most four of the most famous words used in succession in the history of the English language. What is it about that phrase that gets people thinking about stories and maybe ultimately about their relationship with God? Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Dr. Samuel Blumenthal, who's a psychologist. He's also an author of a brand new book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. Dr. Blumenthal, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Talk about what was the this exercise, you know, to, to write the, the to put this together, because I, I know that there are a lot of people who would look at the parable of Jesus and say, well, that's about all the story I can handle when it comes to God. <laughs> Talk about what, uh, what, what, your, what, what was the, the, the desire to put this together. Um, well, I, actually, God used stories in my life, really, uh, to first bring me to faith, and then hmm. even consist consistently after that used other stories, uh, stories in movies, stories in dreams. I was a psychologist for over 30 years and knew a lot about dreams. Uh, stories, uh, parts from the Chronicles of Narnia, 
on and on and on. So I, I kind of learned it very practically. Um, that stories, um, and I think I always thought very symbolically as well. I was a very Freudian as a psychologist. Um, always thought uh, kind of in symbolism and what are the deeper themes uh, in life and the things we struggle with. Um, I originally actually started writing a nonfiction project uh, about how I actually grew up Jewish, came to faith later in life at the age of 45, mm. Um, and kind of wrote, was writing about that. Um, still haven't really finished with that. It's probably at least two books. Um, but stories were a big, big part of that story. And then mm-hmm. I started writing short stories, uh, really enjoyed writing them, um, and ended up publishing this volume first. Um, so hopefully that explains some of it. Yeah, well, it certainly does. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. And we book up at thebottomlineshow.com. What I found refreshing about this work, Dr. Blumenthal, and I'd love to get your take on this, is the fact that if people are spending time in, you know, Bible study, and a lot of folks spend a lot of time, you know, studying about God, and uh, I I wonder how many people know about God without ever having a real relationship with Him, there's something about a story, and especially a short story here, that does give us that uh, familiarity and makes it feel a little bit closer. Um, help us understand where you were going in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned this as a collection of stories that are designed to help bring people to God. Um, it, it sounds like it, I, the, the term I would use in the vernacular is seeker-sensitive. Is this designed more for people who might have questions about faith as opposed to someone who wants to grow deeper in study, or is it, do you think it, it, it's going to hit equally for both? Yeah, no, I think it actually hit equally for both. I mean, something I discovered, and I wasn't really the first person to discover it, I think, but that really in all the stories ever written, um, like all the stories ever written, there's only so many basic plots and, and basic right. themes. Only, right. I only found one person who really took this idea and made a life work out of it. His name was Christopher Booker, and he wrote a book called The Seven Basic Plots, spent over 30 years on the project. And mm. he, he, I'm sure he grew up in the church because he was an older gentleman from England. He passed away a couple of years ago, but um, and he actually was Jungian, so like Carl Jung, and so believed in archetypes and stuff like that. But if you look at all the thing, the save, seven basic themes that he believes are in all stories, it's really all uh, all things from the Bible, all things mm. from uh, what God holds really valuable. And he said there's really one overarching theme. Uh, and all those seven basic plots, and it's essentially light versus dark, and at the end of the day, light wins. Um, mm. And so, um, yeah, what I have found is that, and this is kind of an incredible thing, but um, it's consistent with the gospel and what those of us who are Christians believe, that we're all image bearers, that God has put his imprint on all of us, that the great majority of us may never come to believe in him consciously in this life, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. even so, deep deep inside, we all know the truth of right. who he is, mm-hmm. of the one real story. And to me, that's—and I think stories are one way this is expressed. I mean, I, I've seen countless movies, countless stories that 
the writer will give you all kinds of other reasons why he was inspired to write the story he did, something very specific, something having nothing to do with God. And then you look at the story and you break down what the biggest symbols are and the greatest themes, and it's, it's all the story of God. It's, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, were, we were made much differently. We were made better and whole and healthy. Something happened to change us, something really catastrophic. Um, God redemptively has been trying to help us ever since. Uh, and in the form of Christ, he, he took a major step in that direction, and, and the story's not over. Um, and if you look in stories, especially the redemptive part, uh, it's what you see over and over and over again. Some major character is struggling in some massive way. Um, the grace of God somehow breaks through, and by the end of the story, he's, he's not perfect, but he's definitely a kinder and gentler version of himself. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. is kind of what you see. It's what you see in stories over and over and over and over again. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is with me today here on The Bottom Line. He's written a book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of stories for those trying to find their way home. And it's a great uh, collection of stories that, as he was just describing, uh, help us to see our faith in a whole new light. Uh, you mentioned the storylines over and over and over again, and yet in the people that you've counseled over the years, I'm sure there are some who, when you bring that to their attention, might say, wow, I didn't realize I was kind of stuck in the same story for 20 years or 30 years or, you know, whatever it is. What are, what are some ways that we, who aren't, you know, uh, trained in clinical psychology, can do a better job helping each other in terms of, uh, you know, I think of the, 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 the two friends who might have an argument or a disagreement, and then they come to realize, hey, wait a minute, this guy's kind of in this narrative, and I, I, I've heard this one before, you know, that type of thing. How, how can we do a better job of, of picking up the fact that, yeah, this is your story and you're walking this road, but as you mentioned, there's only just a few archetypes of stories around, and here's a way that you can see a way through it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think listen to your question, I think of two things. Number one, I think we all can be more, always be more receptive. God is trying to speak to all of us all of the time. I think stories is one way that God God does that. He uses storytellers uh, most of the time without even their knowledge to kind of speak to all of us. I think to help our friends, too, we just need to be better listeners. I mean, Jesus taught this better than anybody. It's incredible that he had something different to say to almost every person he, right. he came across, but he could he could see directly into the depths of their heart, and so he knew exactly what they needed. He kind of needed to cut right to the point, because he didn't have too much time. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's just becoming a better listener, but also being more compassionate and patient with people. I think we've all experienced this, you know, and trying to help our friends, even trying to witness to people who don't believe, you, you really just have to be patient, but um, try to get them to be, see if they can begin to believe that there could be a larger story. There, there's really mm-hmm. one story. It's God's story. And all of our stories are kind of just specific examples of that. It, it, you know, it's it, it sounds simple in a way, but it's not. Just kind of like the gospel is so simple a child. You know, you know, can grasp it, and you almost need to be a child to grasp it. But yet, God still saw fit for the Bible to be as long mm-hmm. as it is, and as dense mm-hmm. and as complex um, as well, if that makes sense. 
No, it certainly does. I mean, it's that, that kind of mustard seed principle that says the smallest seed <clears throat> yields the largest, uh, the largest plant, if you will. And, and the idea that we can tell a story that might seem rather crazy and convoluted and all over the place. And yet at the same time, if we understand what the mechanics are, the nuts and bolts, if you will, of that, uh, that story, um, that the, you know, okay, well, at the core of all of this is, you know, we're separated from God. We were looking for a way back. And, uh, and for many of us who have found that way, uh, we can provide the conduit for helping other people who are lost in that struggle. Dr. Richard Blum, uh, Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, more of this conversation as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday edition of the program, and we've got giveaways today. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest, and uh, he is the author of a brand new book called Once Upon a Time. It's such a great title. It's such a fabulous concept. But this is a collection of short stories. The subtitle says it all. It's a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. We've got a link in the book for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three stories or copies of these stories to give away. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. This book is the kind of book that you want to have for a number of different reasons. First of all, it's a good book for adults to read to kids. So parent, grandparent reading to your kids or grandkids, I think that's awesome. Secondly, though, and this is probably the most important part of it for me, is we all know someone who is in that in the throes of, you know, Lord, I believe, help me, I disbelieve. Everyone goes through a season, especially people who went through... Um, who went through uh, uh, growing up in the church. And then they wandered away from the faith for whatever reason. Dr. Blumenthal's story is great. This is a guy who grew up in a Reformed Jewish home in the South. He spent 30 years as a psychoanalytically oriented psychologist, but he didn't come to faith until midlife. So he had a lot of time to basically try to disprove God, ignore God, whatever, you know, he wanted to say about his relationship with the Lord, try to intellectualize it away. Do you know somebody? I can think of two or three people in my extended family. And Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming up. And chances are those people are going to be sitting at your Thanksgiving table. 
And if they are, what's going to happen? You're going to have someone in the family who says, oh, I know the perfect thing for you. And oh, I know, let, let me, sh- here's a book, here's a tract, here's a, let's watch this movie. And they're going to be very, very almost obstinate about wanting to share their faith. And the intellectual person who's going to sit there and say, bring it on because I will win any argument with you because you have a lot of emotion, but you don't have a lot of information. Then there's the information person who just kind of sits there and says, well, I don't have enough passion to fight with you. It's Thanksgiving. Pass the turkey. I want to watch the Lions play or the the Cowboys, whatever it is. This book, Once Upon a Time, is for the rest of us. And I can't stress enough how important this is. We talk a lot about politics. And early on in the program, I talked about Mike Johnson uh, being named the uh, Speaker of the House uh, earlier this week on Wednesday. And how it, it cool it was to see that how the GOP was this clown car just driving around with soap bubbles going everywhere and they didn't know what to do. And then somebody suggested Mike Johnson and for some reason they were able to get a consensus on him. And I thought, well, how could they do this? This guy's a MAGA guy, he's a Freedom Caucus guy, but the rhinos liked him, but he wasn't too uh, rhino-y for the Freedom Caucus, not too Freedom Caucus for the rhinos. And even he put his best, he goes, look, I'm a Christian, God raises leaders up. God deposes leaders. This has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And at the same time, I suggested that's going to be a great story. Once upon a time, there was a kid from Louisiana. No one from his family had ever gone to college. And he wound up getting there and then graduating and then going to grad school, law school, and the rest is history. And next thing you know, by the time he turns 51, he's the third most powerful man in American politics because God ordained his steps. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal's book, Once Upon a Time, is a great collection of stories that ultimately, they're good stories, but they ultimately point us back to our faith and relationship with the Lord. Three copies of the book we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Dr. Samuel Blumenthal in just a moment as the bottom line continues. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. That's kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Dr. Samuel Blumenthal is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Dr. Blumenthal, I would imagine that if uh, we have a bottom line listener who uh, has a friend or maybe a family member who is an avid reader, but maybe hasn't really considered their faith in Christ, or maybe they've kind of wandered away, this is a great resource to share with them because the stories are so compelling. Uh, talk about, you, you mentioned that uh, this started out as kind of a biographical work and all of a sudden became a collection of short stories. Um, how, how has your 
how has your ministry in the world of clinical psychology kind of fueled your passion for writing, or is it the other way around? Well, yeah, so I was a, a psychologist for over 30 years. I re- retired completely maybe six, seven years ago, and really because I just started writing. So, I mean, you, you can really, you know, help uh, people in a counseling practice, few, fewer people at a much deeper level, but if you have something um, meaningful to say, and I feel God just, he just taught me so much. At some point, I just felt I just had to start writing it down and, and really believe that was why he kind of blessed me uh, like he did. The, um, the, the, the background story is really a story of, of my struggle. Uh, I came to Christ at 45 in the midst of a, a very difficult uh, second marriage, which ultimately didn't survive. But what God taught me about that was how my greatest uh, weakness was always, it, it was an idol in my life, and it was actually, the, the idol in my life was actually the woman in my life, which I had mm. never seen it that way, and um, and really taught me, I think ultimately our greatest struggles are, are spiritual. Uh, yeah. Said a different way, I mean, God kind of showed me that uh, what I believed I needed to have for my greatest happiness in life was this person who who affirmed me uh, most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with uh, uh, having that. Uh, you know, marriage is a blessing. God gave us probably the greatest blessing in this life when it's it's good and healthy, but it was never meant to be a have-to-have. That's kind of, right. you know, Tim yeah. Keller said, idols are good things made into ultimate things. And as soon mm. as you make it into an ultimate thing, mm-hmm. yeah, it becomes desperate like an addiction. And I never right. understood I'd done that. But I did do that, uh, and we've all done that with certain things yes. in this life. Um, and so he, he kind of taught me that, and I really wanted to pass on um, that that truth uh, as much as anything. Um, and the stories, um, in some shape or form, communicate. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, Jesus said either you know you either love the Father or you love the world. It, it's one or the other, and I, and right. I think. As Christians, we kind of live with divided hearts, and so God opened our eyes, and we really do love Him as much as we possibly can in, uh, in our fallen states, but we still we struggle with loving the things of mm-hmm. this world. So it's a struggle we, as Christians, we struggle with. The stories are—Christian people will recognize the stories pretty—you know, they're not mm-hmm. uh, yeah. always—the uh, the language is not um, always— um, Christian, but but they were also written to be vague enough for anybody who may just pick it up and start reading, um, and 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 hopefully it could witness to, to people who don't believe um, mm-hmm. to start paying attention to you know to other things. Um, yeah, but is it possible? Yeah, is it possible that you know the God of the Bible is real and that He may have something meaningful to say to you? Talking with Dr. Samuel Blumenthal today here on The Bottom Line about this book called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And uh, realizing that there are a lot of people now who maybe grew up in the church and they've wandered away from their faith. 
and they're wondering, you know, where, where am I in all of this? Because maybe there was some wounding going on, or maybe there was just some confusion, or maybe, just maybe, I mean, this is the, 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 the recipe for disaster, and I'm sure you would agree, Dr. Blumenthal, that churches who don't preach Christ crucified, don't preach the, you know, the sin and salvation message, but just preach the God's your buddy, it's an ATM, you know, get in the club, you know, that type of thing. The minute they encounter any sort of struggle, they don't know how to, you know, to process. And a dear friend of mine from church for many, many years is a, a high school English teacher, literature teacher. And she, she said at one point the school district she was working for was trying to get more into how-to type of books as opposed to literature. And her response was, well, how do you learn how to be human if you don't have literature? You know, if you don't have stories, if you don't have these examples, you know, that, that, that give us the framework. And like you said, they, they don't necessarily say God is this character and you are that character or whatever, but you begin to see that the, the inner workings of the story and begin to realize it's bringing you back to God. And, uh, and that, uh, especially for someone who spent 30 plus years in a field where you spend a lot of time looking at personalities, trying to figure out, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this, but I'm really doing that. You know, that, that not that you're trying to play detective or anything, but you're just trying to help people stop running from themselves and, and face the truth about what they're dealing with. Well, yeah, I would say it actually was exactly like a detective. I mean, especially as a Freudian, I mean, because people come in, they, they're in pain. That's why they come in. And, and, mm -hmm. and some people are very bright. They have some sense that, you know, my depression is connected to this or an abusive father or whatever. But, but really, for the most part, they're not that aware of what the deeper issues are. And you're trying to, number one, figure those things out. Number two, find a way to communicate that they will actually receive it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's about timing and dosing, and it's not, not that easy. And I think the gospel, yeah, is the same thing, really. I mean, look, at Jesus was doing the same thing with everybody. You know, right. um, and and what's amazing is who listened and who didn't, who was able to receive it, uh, and, and the stories. I, you know, I hope can have the same impact. Um, I mean, we we all seem to we get so distracted with the details of life and um, and and stories. The the details the details are used, but they're they're not significant. The real meaning is deeper. What, what's what's the basic message? What, what's the story really about? And you usually can put it in one sentence. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think, yeah, I mean, the, the church and the gospel and our lives are really very similar. It's I, I think at any one point in time, there's really one major spiritual thing we're struggling with. And if God could speak to us, he, he could probably put it in one sentence. It's like, for right now, this is what you need to deal with, mm -hmm. if, mm -hmm. you, if you would. And this is, you know, maybe a little more. Like, this is why it's a problem. This is what you need to let go of or surrender to me, mm -hmm. you know. And, and if we just do that, you know, and three years from now, it may be something different. Uh, it probably will be. Um, and, yeah, so I, I hope the story speaks to people that way. Because uh, yeah. so many other stories, God used other stories to speak to me, I mean, to bring me to faith. To, to reveal to me my greatest struggles. Um, that, that's how I learned it. Um, mm -hmm. by, it was kind of by, you know, living it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think one of the uh, the greatest theological examples we can see of a good exegesis is once upon a time, you know, because uh, even though he did that phrase specifically, 
in Scripture. Uh, Jesus start, you know, would start in with these parables and that parabolic teaching spoke to people in ways that uh, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't able to communicate with them back in the day. I'm talking with Dr. Samuel Blumenthal today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Blumenthal, we've got about 60 seconds left in our time uh, together here, and I would love for you to just uh, kind of send us off with an exhortation, a benediction, if you will, as to why uh, this collection of books, uh, stories rather, in this one book uh, would be such a beneficial resource to a family or maybe for a church, maybe even for like a, I could see a Bible study where you just, you know, a reading club went through this and took every story, a different story every week and really put it into practice. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it could definitely be used for that. I mean, to me, the most encouraging thing to, for all of us is just really just how much God loves us and how he has not given up on us, even though it can seem that way, especially in very desperate circumstances that seem to be interminable in our lives. But I hope the stories communicate that, if if nothing else, um, that regardless of what's going on uh, and the difficulties, and some of which we're very much responsible for, uh, that God will always forgive us. He, he, he's always kind of wait. You know, A.W. Tozer said, God waits to be wanted. Um, an incredible phrase when you think about it, which really means most of the time we're just not paying him any attention. But the moment mm-hmm. we do, he's there. Yes. Uh, he loves us just like, the, you know, the father of the prodigal. Amen. Amen. Well, that is sound wisdom and a great resource, too, uh, from Dr. Samuel Blumenthal today here on The Bottom Line. Again, the book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Blumenthal, great to get to know you, sir. Thank you so much for the book and for visiting with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Well, a delightful story, a great conversation, a fascinating testimony from Dr. Samuel Blumenthal today here on The Bottom Line. But this is a resource that will help you if you have that unbelieving adult child or maybe that family member who will show up on your Thanksgiving dinner day uh, with mashed potatoes and a bad attitude about their faith. Uh, This book could be a real game changer. It's called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It'll encourage the faithful as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, but um, for those who are trying to find their way back to faith, they're really going to benefit from this book. It's Good News Friday, and I have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. Crystal would love to hear from you. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Dr. Samuel Blumenthal's book is called Once Upon a Time. It's a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home to be back in relationship with the Lord or ultimately get some encouragement as we make our way home to heaven. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, we've seen with great dismay how many times an election has been swayed one way or the other because of uh, operatives for the other party, the other side, the more progressive side, taking advantage of things that are actually perfectly legal. So why is it that Christians in particular, but conservatives in general, are so loath to actually uh, take advantage of things that are perfectly legal and very helpful to our cause? On the other side of this break, we'll talk about why there's good news 
happening. And the good news is that more and more Christians are actually uh, beginning to embrace the fact that those laws can work both ways with regard to helping the Christian cause when it comes to elections. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Dr. Samuel Blumenthal for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, His brand new book is called Once Upon a Time, a collection of short stories for those trying to find their way home. It's a great encouragement for those of us who are making the journey all the way heavenward. But also, if there's someone in your world that needs a little encouragement because they've wandered off the beaten path, either they've been led that way, kind of drifted that way, or, uh, and I'm talking about the beaten path of faith, or maybe they've just willfully said, enough, not going to do it anymore. This book is for them. And it'd be a great resource to have in your home, especially during the holidays. We have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. And uh, Crystal is doing her level best to do so right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, 2024 is going to be a very, very interesting election cycle. And you know, it's very interesting to see how Christians have reacted I mean, I've had the privilege of hosting the Bottom Line Show since September 19th, 2011. Not that I keep track of those dates, but of course I keep track of those dates. It was a big deal. Um, And and it's been interesting. So as far as election cycles go, part of the reason the show was created, uh, the the late Rich Bueller had been suffering from pancreatic cancer. He was not in great physical health. He had to step away from the microphone. A new team was formed to start the Bottom Line Show. We lasted about 18 months and then this version of the Bottom Line Show actually hit the 10-year anniversary on April 29th of this year. and But the, we were flown to Detroit, met with Mr. Don Crawford Sr. and uh, Bob Duco and Frank Franciosi, the station manager at WMUZ there. And we were told basically that what we were supposed to do here is win the election for the Bible and for the church and for whatever. That meant getting Barack Obama and Joe Biden out of office and Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan in. Now, when I look back at God's hand of providence, just as we were talking about Mike Johnson, congressman from Louisiana, who's now the Speaker of the House. I'm very grateful that he felt led to run for office. After I mean, he'd been a successful lawyer. He was a member of the Southern Baptist Convention Board of Directors. He was the, uh, he was the senior counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom for a number of years, and then decided about eight years ago to throw his hat in the ring and run for Congress, and he won. He's been representing Louisiana ever since. 
I'm glad he did. I'm very, very grateful he did. But a lot of Christians have kind of been eschewing politics over the years um, and, and kind of sitting by idly and helplessly while it seems like progressive Democrats have been running over their districts. I mean, we've seen this here in the People's Republic of California. In the 2018 election, I think there were about five different districts that were cons- strictly conservative. I mean, as red as you can get that literally turned blue overnight. And you had to ask the question, well, what happened? Well, first and foremost, Democrats will take advantage of laws that allow them to move into certain areas and vote right off the bat. They like the motor voter laws. We saw this happen in Georgia, where all of a sudden, you know, Georgia has 159 counties or something like that. And all but four of them are red. But the big ones are turning blue. And part of the reason why is in Georgia, for example, you don't have to necessarily be a resident to register to vote. You can literally drive into a certain area, register to vote, vote in that area within a week or so, and then leave, and you don't have to establish permanent residence. So a lot of Democrats did that carpetbagging thing, and it helped bolster their numbers. I mean, that's just a reality. We look at that and say, well, that's not right. It should just be for the residents of Georgia. You know, and if you're in Fulton County and you don't live there, you shouldn't be able to vote there. But that's the way their laws work. And so I, I think what, what we saw in 2018, for example, Mimi Walters, good conservative rep, I believe she was in the 44th or 45th district. They've had to redraw them uh, recently, so I'm not quite sure exactly where, uh, which district she's in. She was being challenged by Katie Porter, who was then a, a, a law professor, I believe, at UC Irvine. And Mimi Walters had won that district before. She's been on the Bottom Line show several times. We've had good relationship with her. It seemed like her district was pretty safe. And as we all went to bed on election night, 2018, it looked like Mimi Walters had it. And then all of a sudden, overnight, it seemed like thousands of votes for Katie Porter showed up and people cried foul. What do you, where did these votes come from? I mean, were they hidden? Were they this, that, and the other thing? Well, no, what happened was a bunch of Democratic voting operatives took advantage of California's law that allows for something called ballot harvesting to actually uh, go out and collect ballots from people who weren't able to get their ballots into the polls. Ostensibly, that's what they were doing. In theory, what was also happening too, you know this as well as I have, if you saw Dinesh D'Souza's movie, was it 2000 Mules? Is if you get enough people in the right areas to go and take ballots from other voting members, real live ballots, they don't wind up just taking that ballot and say, here, Mrs. Smith, Go ahead and fill out your ballot, seal it, and sign it, and I'll drop it off for you at the post office or at the Registrar of Voters. No, what they were doing was basically saying, here, give me your ballot, I'll fill it in for you, I'll forward your signature, and then I'll vote for you. If the average voting mule, if you will, was able to collect 100 ballots or 1,000 ballots, you know, we, we were all shocked when we heard that in Chicago, they were going to homeless people on the street and saying, hey, you got an address, it's the shelter, fine. Are you registered to vote? Let me register. You all give you two cartons of cigarettes and I'm going to vote for you. And they would steal votes that way. But ballot harvesting was interesting because it's something that's always happened, but in California, it's now state law. It's perfectly legal. And it amazed me that so many people in the body of Christ would say, well, that's just not right. What do you mean that's not right? It's the law. I mean... (laughs) You would do that for an elderly relative or parent, wouldn't you? Well, then you add into the fact that the 2020 elections now with the pandemic and so many states, you know, we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to mail out sample ballots anymore. We're going to ma- mail out real ballots. What could possibly go wrong there? But ballot harvesting is the process in which a person collects absentee ballots and mass from voters and turns them in on their behalf. 
Sometimes that person is a paid political operative. But the reality is, if you saw a huge uptick in the number of votes that were cast for Joe Biden in the 2020 election, remember Hillary Clinton got 66 million votes and Joe Biden ostensibly got 81 million? Some of those ballots were no doubt fraudulent, but some of those ballots were collected. They were harvested, as it were. So the question I have is not, what do we do to make these laws change back, but rather, why don't Christians engage in that as well? Why do we squabble over, should we have registered to vote things happening at your church or, or, or you know, ballot harvesting? On the other side of this break, the good news story is I want to talk about some of the churches and faith-based organizations that are literally now finally waking up to the fact that voting doesn't just happen on election day. It doesn't just involve people who go to the polls and vote anymore. It happens by mail. It happens months ahead of time. Most states have some kind of early voting provisions. And the sooner the church gets hip to this, perhaps maybe we'll start to see more of a church presence at the polls. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, our Good News Friday edition. Uh, talk- here we are three weeks past the, uh, the bombings that happened in Israel, and so far no ground offensive yet uh, that has been mounted. But, you know, the tensions are still flaring in the Middle East, and of course we uh, encourage your prayer for that as well. It's nice to see the church getting engaged in that part of the world. It's also nice to see the church getting engaged in politics on a much bigger level. Here's the deal. Um, the majority of Christians prefer to vote in person. When you look at mail-in voting and absentee ballots and things of that nature, Democrats are far more likely to vote early and to vote absentee than Republicans are. Uh, footnote, People's Republic of California now has 21 million registered voters and 75% of them are absentee. So, I mean, just can't be bothered. I've been absentee for years and that will not change. <laughs> I, I, I know that sometimes my voting day can be very, I don't like voting early. And, but that, that voting early thing, though, is helpful if they're you know, getting those votes in and making sure they count. But it's, it's nice to see now, I think of Pastor Jack Hibbs and our friends at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. Of course, Jack's on with Real Radio right after me here on the Bottom Line Show every weekday from 4.30 to 5 on our flagship affiliate, KBRT. But they were very, very active. They've always been good at collecting signatures for ballot initiatives. When it came to ballot harvesting, they went full force. And it's interesting to see how the left has no trouble paying political operatives to drive around and collect mail-in balloting and absentee balloting from the elderly or people who they just want to hit their mailbox and steal their ballot. And we don't have any proof that they didn't. But then a church says, hey, drop off your ballot here. And oh, no, 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 separation of church and state. Wait, what about the church that has been a registered licensed polling place for years? I could think of the... uh, there's a Baptist church right down the street from my former church where, and I, it was our neighborhood polling place. I voted there for years. If they said that that was going to be a place where you could drop off your ballot early, or if the church actually engaged in saying, we will, as a service to you, there's a lot of elderly people in the area. We will drive to your home. We'll be happy. doesn't matter what party you are. You fill it out. We'll be happy to collect it. How many Christians did not vote in 2020? How many Christians didn't vote in the midterms? Our friends at My Faith Votes and iVoterGuide.com tell us it's anywhere from 25 to 30 million Christians don't vote. So if ballot harvesting is legal, why not mobilize churches to bank some votes before Election Day? It's not immoral. I mean, understanding, of course, it might have a 
negative connotation if you think someone's using it for ill-gotten gain. But as Christians, we're not using it for ill-gotten gain. We're basically saying, if there's someone in your church, if there's someone in your community who really wants to vote, but they don't want to put it in the mail and have it get lost in the mail, and they want a trustworthy source, who better than someone from the church to play that role? I think that was the thought when it came to uh, the polling place that was at the Baptist church by my house when I was a younger adult, a young dad. We could walk there sometimes. I could bring the kids if I wanted to. I mean, they, they got a chance to see this all play out. Just because people use politics corruptly doesn't mean that all politics are corrupt. Just because uh, we, we find ourselves in a situation, it's like capitalism. All the people who say, oh, capitalism's so evil and capitalism's so corrupt and I can't believe cap- bad capitalism. No, it's not the capitalism that's corrupt. It's the corrupt people who corrupt the system. Capitalism on its head is what God set up in the Garden of Eden. I mean, basically... It's, a, it's an honest uh, production of goods and services and the buying and selling thereof, the transactions that benefit each family individually as well as all of society. Ballot harvesting can be used that way too. And the good news is more and more believers are actually getting involved. If your church is not part of a ballot harvesting campaign or a get out to vote registration campaign, I want to encourage you to do so. The reason I want to, I mean, you don't have to do it from the pulpit. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, quite frankly, I'd rather it didn't happen in the pulpit. Um, if your pastor needs to talk about it, that's one thing. Do it at a Bible study, do it midweek, do some local ads on the radio or something like that. But, you know, don't take away from the preaching and teaching of sin and salvation, law and gospel, the, the discipling of people. But go into all the world and preach the gospel can be very effective if you're doing it for ballot harvesting or voter registration. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, we've got a very, very interesting story about uh, what's happening in the state of Oklahoma right now regarding transgender law and the faith-based, constitutionally-driven pro-life governor who's standing up for the right to not mutilate children. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Barshan. It's always good to have good news to share, especially on a Friday. And when the good news, of course, is about the good news of the gospel, then we really rejoice and we truly take to heart all the different good news articles and things we've been able to share over the many, many years we've been doing Good News Friday here at the Bottom Line Show. And for our listeners on KLTT, you're only a couple years into this. Um, you'll get used to it. Every, every Friday we do feature, by the way, I should mention for KLTT, um, we're on KLDC in, De- in Denver that carries the entire 90-minute version of the Bottom Line Show. But our KLTT listeners right now anyway... Uh, We are fortunate to have 2.30 to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday, right after Angie Austin's great program, and right before a powerhouse hour from 3 to 4 that then leads into The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg from 4 to 4.30, and Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk, 4.30 to 5. That's on KLTT in Denver, by the way. So if you're just tuning into terrestrial radio somewhere else and you're going, wait a minute, they changed the program lineup. No, that's the lineup in Denver on KLTT. But if you are listening on KLTT right now, I want to invite you to listen to the entire 90-minute edition of The Bottom Line Show, either online at thebottomlineshow.com or rogermarsh.com, or you can listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast info. 
And you can also uh, check us out the full 90-minute version in Colorado on KLDC. That's AM 1220, our sister station in Denver. Okay, so I just wanted to put that out there in case you uh, are wondering, because we've had a lot more people calling in from Colorado of late. And my suspicion is you're hearing us on KLTT and then going, wait, there's 90 minutes? Well, cool. There's, you know, <laughs> this is really interactive and fun. So thank you for tuning in. And wherever you listen to the Bottom Line Show, so grateful that you do listen. Every time we do a giveaway or some kind of call in, you're great to talk to Crystal or to Joel or whoever's answering, whoever is answering the phones. And uh, um, to let us know where you're listening and how you consume the media, as it were. And so uh, there's lots of different platforms which you can pick us up on, uh, share the information with friends. We, it's not proprietary. You can listen on terrestrial radio for free. You can listen on podcasts for free. I mean, we do not have a paid channel anywhere that I know of at Crawford Broadcasting. So uh, nothing should keep you from being able to listen to the bottom line. Uh, at, and I know at rogermarsh.com all free we have commercial sponsors and uh, they're grateful to make this uh, possible for us so uh, we can make it possible for you so there you go uh, this last uh, half hour good news friday uh, we're going to take a look at uh, uh, now do an analysis balance and clarity segment on the issue of something that's become a very controversial topic in the in the culture and that is the issue of young people seeking to change their gender now, a decade ago, we were still two years away from the Obergefell decision at the Supreme Court. That was a case where two women who lived, I believe, in Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts was one of the first states in the United States to recognize so-called same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage. And the reason I say that in that way, please understand when I do say this. Sometimes I'll get an email from someone saying, hey, that was very nice of you to say it. The reason I put it that way is this. In God's eyes, marriage is a man and a woman, full stop. And the marriage bed is sacred, just between the man and the woman. God created physical intimacy for marriage. He did not create it anywhere else. So when we talk about anything outside of a man and a woman getting married, just the two of them, in holy matrimony, you know, covenant before God and before you know, the great crowd of witnesses that are there, here's what that means. It doesn't mean that we look at people in same-sex relationships and say, you're bad and going to hell, but everybody else is fine. No. Any sex outside of marriage is a sin. And that's biblical. I think we can all agree on that. If you read the scriptures long enough, you will discover that any sex outside of marriage is sin, first and foremost. Secondly, the culture has completely gone left with regard to what is appropriate sexual behavior among people. And it's so interesting how when you take just a simple recipe of my feelings are factual to me, so therefore they're facts. It is a fact that I feel a certain way, whatever it is, or a certain kind of way, but that doesn't necessarily make my feelings factual. That's the way I feel. When I was a kid, I used to have nightmares. <laughs> and I remember feeling as though you know, I was being chased by monsters, my skin turned striped colors, whatever it was, I would talk to my parents, and they did their level best to convince me that those were the way, those were feelings, those were thoughts that I had, but they weren't actual facts. Fortunately, they figured that out. Now, I should <laughs> go on to mention, poor Isaac always gets the brunt of this, but my grandson, have, uh, we have four grandkids, and uh, we may be adding more uh, to the quiver next year, if you never can tell, Lord willing. 
But of the four we have right now, Isaac has that. He's, at, he's six years old, and he wants to be a robot. He wants to be a Transformer. Right now, he wants to be a Power Ranger. Um, I would never, ever insinuate that you know he's ever going to be any of those things. But that's what he like in his mind, his imagination. What would it be like if I did have the ability to teleport myself, or you know, jump? tall buildings in a single bound or, you know, whatever it is, all those things that are kind of great and part and parcel of childhood that we want to encourage them to think beyond who they are and the physical simply because that's going to help shape who they become later on in life. The idea that you can imagine that you could dream, wouldn't it be cool if how many great discoveries have been made in our society based on someone asking the question, I wonder what else we can do with peanuts besides eat them, you know, or whatever it is. Somebody had to ask that rhetorical question. And George Washington Carver, you know, really d delivered. Somebody had to figure out electricity and natural gas and all these different things. Someone had to ask that question. And we live at a time where there are so many conveniences available that, I mean, <laughs> every now and again, Lisa and I'll be out for a walk. Uh, we've got a neighborhood that has an uh, issue with some homes have big old toadstools in the front. And we'll be walking by and she'll look and say, how would you like to be the guy who said, hey, I wonder what could happen? And you know, somebody had to try eating those things before they figured out, hey, Fred's not with us anymore. We better not eat the mushrooms, right? I mean, that's, it, it, I'm sure there was a lot of trial and error that went into it. But by the time we got to the Obergefell decision, Americans had stopped looking at science and stopped looking at reason and stopped looking at scripture and started looking at their feelings. How do I feel? And you find a lot of people. I came across that guy on Instagram the other day. Big old heavy set guy, and he is proud of that. Uh, used to be in pastoral ministry, or so he claims. Six years ago, he walked away from his faith, and now he posts real on, reels on Instagram about how he left the church because when he was there, he was lonely and depressed and didn't have any friends. And he said, you know, the church, the organized church was, was a great place to meet people and connect with people because everybody was kind of on the same page. But over time, he began to feel more lonely and despondent. So six years ago, he left the church, let, began making documentary films, stopped going to church altogether, now doesn't consider himself to be a Christian. And he posted and said, look, over the years, I've been making these posts and people keep trying to win me back to Jesus. So I've disabled the comments on my site. But six years later, I'm still isolated, lonely, bitter. You know, and I thought, oh, gosh, I mean, at least at church, you have a chance of not being lonely. You can be around other people and have some fellowship and, you know, feel there's a purpose greater than you. But basically, this poor guy had boiled everything down, apparently, to this is the way I feel. So these are the facts. So this is the way I'm going to live. And I get the sense, you know, that we remember that after the Obergefell decision where Justice Anthony Kennedy cast the deciding vote, the Supreme Court had invented a right to privacy with regard to women and what they do with their bodies, ergo for abortion, and with people and what they do with their bodies, ergo, you know, gay sexual activity. And now the Supreme Court was saying, well, look, if these two women, quote unquote, were in love and the state recognized their marriage even though the federal government didn't. And one of them worked for the federal government and she passed away and wanted her benefits to go to her quote unquote spouse. And the state said, or the federal government said, no, because you're not married. Then they went to court and just as the Obergefell decision basically so legalized so-called same-sex quote unquote marriage, 
the same way Dobbs versus Jackson overturned Roe versus Wade. The only difference is Dobbs versus Jackson really did overturn Roe versus Wade, whereas the Obergefell decision gave Anthony Kennedy the opportunity to write, you know, we went from uh, why should you legalize this to why shouldn't you legalize it? They didn't really come up with an argument for it. And so now you see people, the question then was what's next? Well, I could have told you what was coming next. Most people could have, because during the 2012 presidential campaign, Barack Obama, Joe Biden were seeking reelection and Joe Biden spilled the beans that Barack Obama was okay with same-sex marriage. And then we started getting Proposition 1 in uh, North Carolina. Um, and, and then then I think North Carolina was kind of ground zero for a lot of the transgender activity. Now, people were concerned. Well, once gay marriage is uh, married or is, is legalized, then we're going to start seeing all sorts of, uh, you know, polyamory and things like that, bigamy. And, no, it was transgenderism. And it started with a guideline from the federal government. Then President Obama issuing a guideline saying, uh, here's your school funding for the year for food, for the student lunch programs and whatever. And oh, by the way, in the guidelines, if you are not making an accommodation for students who identify as transgender, you're not getting your money. That's the really super short version of what happened. All of a sudden, the transgender thing became the big issue of the day. What do you mean you got we don't have transgender bathrooms here? And, uh, well, we're not. Nobody's going to North Carolina because they have these hateful bills. The North Carolina F- SB1 bill with regard to transgenderism and things like that was already established state law. They came up with a newer version of it that didn't really change a whole lot, made it a, wanted to make it a constitutional amendment, and the left lost their minds. Eight years later, we find ourselves now with a growing number of young people who are identifying as transgender, wanting to get surgeries, and there are really no standards for these. Remember, um, well, Southern Californians may remember, there was a guy by the name of Richard Raskin who was a doctor, also a fairly decent tennis player when he was younger. Left-handers are always tough when you play on the court. And, but he really wanted to be a woman. And so he went through, I believe, the Johns Hopkins program. This is in the 70s. Went through years of counseling and tried a little dabble in cross-dress before he finally had the surgery. It was shocking, whatever. Uh, Became Renee Richards. I only remember this because, A, he was in People magazine, and, B, my parents, one year, one glorious year, we joined the Tustin Hills Racquet Club, and Renee Richards came to play a doubles match. Mixed doubles. She had, and her male partner, ironically, was the guy who was my tennis coach at the time. It was kind of fun to watch him play because he, she was pretty good. Years and years of counseling, years and years of therapy, years and years and years of psychologically, you know, uh, interactive work, psychiatrists pouring over this whole case. Now, some eight-year-old kid says, you know, I think I might be the opposite gender. And Planned Parenthood wants to jam it full of hormones. Oh, you're a boy? Well, we'll give you a puberty blocker because you don't want to have to go through uh, adolescence. You don't have to go through puberty to become a boy. We've got to stop that right away. We'll stop that puberty blocker. We'll give you a bunch of estrogen, and boom, you'll become a girl. Except you won't because you have to keep taking estrogen the rest of your life. Well, healthcare providers have been going all out 
in this war to do cosmetic sex change surgeries, prescribing puberty blockers, et cetera, et cetera, for minors who identify as transgender with not one visit to a psychologist, not one visit to a psychiatrist, not years of counseling, not years of preparation, but instead, little girl says, I'm 10 years old, I hang out with the guys, one of my girlfriends said, maybe you are a guy, so I want, a, I want the operation. Well, one state in the union which is passionately pro-life is the state of Oklahoma. Governor Kevin Stitt said he wants Oklahoma to be the most pro-pro-pro-life state ever. And he recently signed another bill that will actually make him pro-life in terms of gender and gender identity. But then it went to court. Well, I told you this is Good News Friday, so there's actually good news with regard to his court case. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We may have another pro-life presidential candidate at some point, and his name is Kevin Stitt. He is the governor of Oklahoma, and last year he announced that he wanted to become the most pro-life governor anywhere. So he passed all sorts of pro-life laws, et cetera, et cetera, but then he got into it with uh, Bill Senate Bill number 613 in Oklahoma. Oklahoma uh, decided that they wanted to pass a bill, which they did, and he signed, signed it a law in May that basically prohibited healthcare providers from performing cosmetic sex change surgeries and prescribing puberty blockers for trans-identified minors. Now, you'll notice, the LGBTQ crowd doesn't like this, you'll notice there's nothing in the Oklahoma law that says an adult can't become transgender. That if a 25-year-old man or a 30-year-old woman decides they want to jump the tracks and go in the other direction, there's nothing preventing them from doing that. You'll find typically that people on the left do have a tendency to lump everything in. You know, a child dies in the Middle East and all of a sudden, Israel hates everyone and they're bombing children and they're beheading babies and poor Hamas, what are we going to do? Well, of course, when SB 613 was signed into law, um, the left would lose their minds, right? Because anytime the something like this comes up, the left loses their mind. Now, I wish it were for a rational reason. I really, I mean, I honestly do. Because at least if there was a rational reason for leftists to look at a law like this that bans anyone under the age of 18 from getting any kind of puberty blocker, any kind of sex change surgery whatsoever, you would think everyone's rejoicing. I don't want my kids mutilated. 
I don't want my grandkids, you know, getting, well, I can't really talk to anybody about this. And so off. No, they honestly do not. The idea is to let parents make the decision and not the healthcare providers. And so here's the deal. Um, they want parents to be in a position where they can actually take care of the situation at hand for their kids. And the left wants it to be in the hands of the school district and the health care provider and block the parents from doing so. But here's, here's the question. Once this bill was signed into law, the ACLU filed a lawsuit and said that you can't do that. You just can't do that. Uh, this is a devastating result for transgender youth and their families in Oklahoma and all across the region. Denying transgender youth equality before the law and needlessly withholding the necessary medical care their families and doctors know is right for them has caused and will continue to cause serious harm. SB 613 prohibits health care providers from giving children, quote, surgical procedures that alter or remove physical or anatomical characteristics or features that are typical for the individual's biological sex. The law also prohibits giving puberty blocking drugs, cross sex hormones or other drugs to suppress or delay normal puberty or to promote the development of feminizing or masculinizing, masculinizing features consistent with the opposite biological sex for youth suffering from gender dysphoria. Now, what's interesting, nearly two dozen states have enacted laws like this so far. Oklahoma isn't the only one. But it's interesting when you read the decision from the district court, Northern District Court of uh, Oklahoma, it's a federal court. When they wrote back that the plaintiffs have not demonstrated a fundamental right for parents to choose for their children to use puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and surgeries for the purpose of effectuating a gender transition. It is rational for the Oklahoma legislature to regulate the treatment protocols for minors while the democratic process resolves ongoing questions of safety and efficacy. Indeed, courts have upheld restrictions designed to protect and prevent minors from engaging in behaviors that are far less risky than the procedures banned in SB 613. And so it goes. The ACLU actually tried to make the case that it was the parents' best interest to allow them to require health insurance and healthcare providers and the courts to let the parents go ahead and impose these types of things on kids. Notice there's nowhere in SB 613 that prevents a family from seeking this type of treatment for someone with gender dysphoria while they are adults. It's only in the case of minors. And there's a, well, there's a myriad of reasons why they should do this. But it's very, very interesting to see how the federal district court in Oklahoma ruled and why the left would be so upset. Want to take a look at those? We'll do that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But 
The first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news is that Oklahoma's Senate Bill 613, which was signed into law this past May by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, uh, has been upheld by a, uh, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Oklahoma. And here's their opinion. The plaintiffs, there were a group of people who sued and said, we're the parents of gender dysphoric kids. We should be able to have the right to get our kids puberty blockers, blah, 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 uh, because we know what's best for our children. Ironically, this argument, I mean, the, the, here's what the, the statement said, and then I'll get a little commentary here. Plaintiffs have not demonstrated a fundamental right for parents to choose for their children to use puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries for the purpose of effectuating a gender transition. It is rational for the Oklahoma legislature to regulate the treatment protocols for minors, while the democratic process resolves ongoing questions of safety and efficacy. Indeed, courts have upheld restrictions designed to protect and prevent minors from engaging in behaviors that are far less risky than the procedures banned in SB 613. So here's what the court said. First and foremost, we have ruled in the past, case precedent, on cases that aren't as risky as this, and we've let bans against those behaviors stand. So if we're going to let those risk, not, not as risky behaviors be banned, we certainly are not going to start now with this type of surgery, number one. Number two, the plaintiffs have not demonstrated a fundamental right for parents to choose for their children to use puberty blockers. In other words, how come the parents and kids get to choose whatever happened to the medical professionals? Third, and this one goes without saying, these are kids we're talking about. These are children we're talking about. The last time I checked, your body in that age and stage is growing. It's changing. It's going through hormone. I mean, it's doing its own crazy nonsense. <laughs> Just volunteer for a junior high event at your church and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. How in the world, the, the, the best statistics that I've seen over the past decade have been very consistent between 90 and 94% of young people who experience gender dysphoria to the point where they consider having sex reassignment surgery, stay with the gender that God assigned them at birth after they get through puberty. This mad rush to get kids chopped and jabbed and all these things is coming from totalitarian leftists who want to accomplish a couple of things. First of all, they know these kids will never be able to reproduce. So you're basically thinning the herd in terms of reproduction and thinning out the population, number one. Number two, let's create confusion as much as we possibly can because then that way no one will believe any moral absolutes. They'll just glean, uh, glom on to the... Uh, 
thought processes that we want them to have. Number three, oh, by the way, if we can get a kid on cross-sex hormones at age six, we'll have a customer for life. And it's true. This whole idea that all you have to do is jab some estrogen in your boy's body and remove his genitals and try to give him breasts and tell him one day we could do a womb transplant. Guess what? Nope, nope, nope. None of that stuff is going to happen. But oh, by the way, you'll be on estrogen the rest of your life. Why? Because your male body does not produce enough for you to be female. Now, there are occasions where people are born with, you know, confused uh, secondary sex characteristics, hormonal imbalances. They're extremely rare when they do happen. But the fact that 19,000 kids went under the knife in 2019, and it's going to be even higher for 2020 and 21 once we see those statistics. I appreciate Governor Stitt signing this and standing up for the sanctity of human life, the value of human life, especially for kids who are going through gender dysphoria. If you have a child in your world who's going through it, you know it's not fun. They're confused. They're frustrated. They're emotional. They're looking for answers. And oftentimes the church's answer is, well, go figure it out. When you come back, then you can be part of our youth group. But at the end of the day, look at Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and you see that God created the heavens and the earth, saw that it was tov, the Hebrew word for good. And then God created male and female in the image of God. Male and female, he created them and said, be fruitful and multiply. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The male-female relationship at its best in marriage is the perfect reflection and representation of Christ in the church and the physical union that creates the emotional union that creates the soul bonding that goes along with that. It should be celebrated. The enemy is doing everything he can to destroy that, even to the point of saying, well, let's confuse what marriage definition is. Well, let's take it a step further. Let's confuse gender. Then how are you going to know if you're a man, or if you're a woman, if a man and a woman should be together? Do whatever makes you feel good. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, I think of the words of Laura Beth Perry, who's now Laura Perry Smalls, who married a guy named Perry, ironically. And when she spent about 10 years living as a guy named Jake, taking testosterone, trying to be a dude, she said God came to her in a dream one night and said, Laura, I just have one question for you. When it's time to judge the living and the dead, which name am I going to call you? And she said, I knew then God made me Laura. And I should rejoice in what God has done because he calls it good. So good news out of Oklahoma, that's the bottom line.